Welcome to this week in surgery your filtered medical journal summary. Looking to stay up to date with the latest medical research but short on time? This week in surgery has you covered. Our podcast provides you with a convenient, on-the-go solution to keep you informed about the most significant developments in the surgical field. We understand that your time is valuable, so we've done the hard work for you. Each episode offers a filtered and concentrated summary of key journal articles, allowing you to stay informed without the need to sift through pages of research papers. With this week in surgery, listening is faster than reading, and you can consume valuable medical knowledge while commuting, exercising, or during your daily routine, including in the operating room. This week in surgery we will be discussing recently published articles. First, Annals of Surgery. Emergency Department and Inpatient Utilization Reductions and Cost Savings Associated with Trauma Center Mental Health Intervention, Results from a 5-Year Longitudinal Randomized Clinical Trial Analysis. Objective To identify and refer patients at high risk for the psychological sequelae of traumatic injury, the American College of Surgeons Committee on Trauma now requires that trauma centers have in place protocols. No investigations have documented reductions in utilization and associated potential cost savings associated with trauma center mental health interventions. Background The investigation was a randomized clinical trial analysis that incorporated novel five-year emergency department, ed-slash-inpatient health service utilization follow-up data. Methods Patients were randomized to a mental health intervention, targeting the psychological sequelae of traumatic injury, and equals 85, versus enhanced usual care control, and equals 86, conditions. The intervention included case management that coordinated trauma center to community care linkages, psychotropic medication consultation, and psychotherapy elements. Mixed model regression was used to assess intervention and control group utilization differences over time. An economic analysis was also conducted. Results Over the course of the five-year intervention, patients demonstrated significant reductions in ed-slash-inpatient utilization when compared with controlled patients, F, 19,3210, equals 2.23, P equals 0.009. Intervention utilization reductions were greatest at 3 to 6 months, intervention 15.5% versus control 26.7%, relative risk equals 0.58, 95% C, 0.34, 1.00, 0.34, 1.00, and 12 to 15 months, intervention 16.5% versus control 30.6%, relative risk equals 0.54, 95% C, 0.32, 0.91, post-injury time points. The economic analysis suggested potential intervention cost savings. Conclusions Mental health intervention is associated with significant reductions in ed and inpatient utilization, as well as potential cost savings. These findings could be productively integrated into future American College of Surgeons Committee on Trauma Policy discussions. Association between Coronavirus Disease 2019 Vaccination and Mortality After Major Operations Objective The objective of this study was to compare postoperative 90-day mortality between 1. Fully vaccinated patients with COVID-19 positive and negative diagnosis and 2. Vaccinated and unvaccinated patients with COVID-19 positive diagnosis Background 
Societal guidelines recommend postponing elective operations for at least seven weeks in unvaccinated patients with preoperative coronavirus disease 2019, COVID-19, infection. The role of vaccination in this infection operation time risk is unclear. Methods We conducted a national U.S. multicenter retrospective, match cohort study spanning July 2021 to October 2022. Participants were included if they underwent a high-risk general, vascular, orthopedic, neurosurgery, or genitourinary surgery. All-cause mortality occurring within 90 days of the index operation was the primary outcome. Inverse probability treatment-weighted propensity scores were used to adjust logistic regression models examining the independent and interactive associations between mortality, exposure status, and infection proximity. Results Of 3,401 fully vaccinated patients in the eight-week preoperative period, 437, 12.9%, were COVID-19 positive. Unadjusted mortality rates were not significantly different between vaccinated patients with COVID-19, 22, 5.0%, and vaccinated patients without COVID-19, 99, 3.3%, P equals 0.07. After inverse probability treatment-weighted adjustment, Mortality risk was not significantly different between vaccinated COVID-19 positive patients compared to vaccinated patients without COVID-19, adjusted odds ratio equals 1.38, 95% C, 0.70, 2.72. The proximity of COVID-19 diagnosis to the index operation did not confer added mortality risk in other comparison cohort. Conclusions Contrary to risks observed among unvaccinated patients, Postoperative mortality does not differ between patients with and without COVID-19 when vaccinated against the severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus 2 virus and receiving a high-risk operation within eight weeks of the diagnosis, regardless of operation timing relative to diagnosis. Delayed versus early laparoscopic appendectomy for adult patients with acute appendicitis, a randomized controlled trial. Objective To assess whether delaying appendectomy until the following morning is non-inferior to immediate surgery in those with acute appendicitis presenting at night. Background Despite a lack of supporting evidence, those with acute appendicitis who present at night frequently have surgery delayed until the after-morning. Methods The DELAY trial is a non-inferiority randomized controlled trial conducted between 2018 and 22 at two tertiary care hospitals in Canada. Adults with imaging confirmed acute appendicitis who presented at night, 8 p.m. 4.00 a.m. Delaying surgery until after 6 a.m. was compared with immediate surgery. The primary outcome was 30-day postoperative complications. And a prior non-inferiority margin of 15% was deemed clinically relevant. Results 127 of the planned 140 patients were enrolled in the delayed versus early laparoscopic appendectomy delay trial, 59 in the delayed group and 68 in the immediate group. The two groups were similar at baseline. The mean time between the decision to operate and surgery was longer in the delayed group, 11.0 versus 4.4 hours, p less than 0.0001. The primary outcome occurred in 659, 10.2%, of those in the delayed group versus 1567, 22.4%, of those in the immediate group, P equals 0.07.
The difference between groups met the a priori non-inferiority criteria plus 15%, risk difference minus 12.2%, 95% C, minus 24.4% to plus 0.4%, test of non-inferiority P less than 0.0001. Conclusions The DELAY study is the first trial to assess delaying appendectomy in those with acute appendicitis. We demonstrate the non-inferiority of delaying surgery until the after-morning. Risk factors for progression in patients undergoing surveillance for pancreatic cysts. Objective. To identify risk factors associated with the progression of pancreatic cysts in patients undergoing surveillance. Background. Previous studies of introductal papillary mucinous neoplasms, IPMNs, rely on surgical series to determine malignancy risk and have inconsistently identified characteristics associated with IPMN progression. Methods. We conducted a retrospective review of 2,197 patients presenting with imaging concerning for IPMN from 2010 to 2019 at a single institution. Cyst progression was defined as resection or pancreatic cancer development. Results The median follow-up time was 84 months from the presentation. The median age was 66 years and 62% were female. 10% had a first-degree relative with pancreatic cancer and 3.2% had a germline mutation or genetic syndrome associated with an increased risk of pancreatic ductal adenocarcinoma, PDAC. Cumulative incidence of progression was 17.8% and 20.0% at 12 and 60 months post-presentation, respectively. Surgical pathology for 417 resected cases showed non-invasive IPMN in 39% of cases and PAC with or without associated IPMN in 20%. Only 18 patients developed PAC after 6 months of surveillance, 0.8%. On multivariable analysis, symptomatic disease, hazard ratio, HR equals 1.58, 95% C, 1.25 to 2.01, current smoker status, HR equals 1.58, 95% C, 1.16 to 2.15, cyst size, HR equals 1.26, 95% C, 1.20 to 1.33, main duct dilation, HR equals 3.17, 95% C, 2.44 to 4.11, and solid components, HR equals 1.89, 95% C, 1.34 to 2.66, were associated with progression. Conclusions Worrisome features on imaging at presentation, current smoker status, and symptomatic presentation are associated with IPMN progression. Most patients progressed within the first year of presentation to Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, MSKCC. Further investigation is necessary to develop personalized cis surveillance strategies. Next article is from Journal of American Medical Association Surgery. Faculty Entrustment and Resident Entrustability Importance as the surgical education paradigm transitions to entrustable professional activities, a better understanding of the factors associated with resident entrustability are needed. Previous work has demonstrated intraoperative faculty entrustment to be associated with resident entrustability. 
However, larger studies are needed to understand if this association is present across various surgical training programs. Objective to assess intraoperative faculty resident behaviors and determine if faculty entrustment is associated with resident entrustability across four university-based surgical training programs. Design, setting, and participants This cross-sectional study was conducted at four university-based surgical training programs from October 2018 to May 2022. OpTrust, a validated tool designed to assess both intraoperative faculty entrustment and resident entrustability behaviors independently, was used to assess faculty-resident interactions. A total of 94 faculty and 129 residents were observed. Purposeful sampling was used to create variation in type of operation performed, case difficulty, faculty-resident pairings, faculty experience, and resident training level. Main outcomes and measures observed resident entrustability scores, scale 1 to 4, with 4 indicating full entrustability, were compared with reported measures, faculty level, case difficulty, resident postgraduate year, PGY, resident gender, observation month, and observed faculty entrustment scores, scale 1 to 4, with 4 indicating full entrustment. Path analysis was used to explore direct and indirect effects of the predictors. Associations between resident entrustability and faculty entrustment scores were assessed by pairwise Pearson correlation coefficients. Results A total of 338 cases were observed. Cases observed were evenly distributed by faculty experience, 1 to 5 years experience, 67, 20.9%, 6 to 14 years experience, 186, 58%, greater than or equal to 15 years experience, 67, 20.9%, resident PGY, PGY1, 28, 8%, PGY2, 74, 22%, PGY3, 64, 19%, PGY4, 40, 12%, PGY5, 97, 29%, greater than or equal top P6, 36, 11%, and resident gender, female, 183, 54%, male, 154, 46%. At the univariate level, PGY, mean, SD, resident entrustability score range, 1.44, 0.46, for PGY1 to 3.24, 0.65, for PGY6, F equals 38.92, P less than 0.001, and faculty entrustment, 2.55, 0.86, 2 South African Rand equals 0.94, P less than 0.001, were significantly associated with resident entrustability. Conclusions and relevance Faculty entrustment remained associated with resident entrustability across various surgical training programs. These findings suggest that efforts to develop faculty entrustment behaviors may enhance intraoperative teaching and resident progression by promoting resident entrustability. Next article is from British Journal of Surgery. Evaluation of a quality improvement intervention to reduce anastomotic leak following right colectomy, Eagle. Pragmatic, batch step wedge, cluster randomized trial in 64 countries. Background Anastomotic leak affects 8% of patients after right colectomy with a tenfold increased risk of postoperative death. The EGLE study aimed to develop and test whether an international, standardized quality improvement intervention could reduce anastomotic leaks. Methods The internationally intended protocol, 
iteratively co-developed by a multi-stage Delphi process, comprised an online educational module introducing risk stratification, an intraoperative checklist, and harmonized surgical techniques. Clusters, hospital teams, were randomized to one of three arms with varied sequences of intervention data collection by a derived step-wedge batch design, at least 18 hospital teams per batch. Patients were blinded to the study allocation. Low- and middle-income country enrollment was encouraged. The primary outcome, assessed by intention to treat, was anastomotic leak rate and subgroup analyzes by module completion, at least 80% of surgeons, high engagement, less than 50%, low engagement, were pre-planned. Results A total 355 hospital teams registered, with 332 from 64 countries, 39.2% low and middle income, included in the final analysis. The online modules were completed by half of the surgeons, 2,143 of 4,411. The primary analysis included 3,039 of the 3,268 patients recruited, 206 patients had no anastomosis and 23 were lost to follow-up, with anastomotic leaks arising before and after the intervention in 10.1 and 9.6% respectively, adjusted or 0.87, 95% CI 0.59 to 1.30, P equals 0.498. The proportion of surgeons completing the educational modules was an influence, the leak rate decreased from 12.2%, 61 of 500, before intervention to 5.1%, 24 of 473, after intervention in high engagement centers, adjusted or 0.36, 0.20 to 0.64, p less than 0.001, but this was not observed in low engagement hospitals, 8.3%, 59 of 714, and 13.8%, 61 of 443, respectively, adjusted or 2.09, 1.31 to 3.31. Conclusion Completion of globally available digital training by engaged teams can alter anastomotic leak rates. Costs of endovascular and open repair of thoracic aortic aneurysms. Background Repair of thoracic aortic aneurysms with either endovascular repair, TVAR, or open surgical repair, OSR, represents major surgery, is costly and associated with significant complications. The aim of this study was to establish accurate costs of delivering TVAR and OSR in a cohort of UK NHS patients suitable for open and endovascular treatment for the whole treatment pathway from admission and to discharge and 12-month follow-up. Methods A prospective study of UK NHS patients from 30 NHS vascular-slash-cardiothoracic units in England aged greater than or equal to 18, with distal arch-slash-descending thoracic aortic aneurysms, CTAA, was undertaken. A multi-center perspective cost analysis of patients, recruited March 2014-July 2018, follow-up until July 2019, undergoing TVAR or OSR was performed. Patients deemed suitable for open or endovascular repair were included in this study. A micro-costing approach was adopted. Results some 115 patients having undergone TVAR and 5 patients with OSR were identified. The mean, SD, cost of a TVAR procedure was higher £26,536, £9,877, 
versus OSR 17,239 pounds, 8,043 pounds. Postoperative costs until discharge were lower for Tavar 7,484 pounds, 7,848 pounds, versus OSR 28,636 pounds, 23,083 pounds. Therefore, total NHS costs from admission to discharge were lower for Tavar 34,020 pounds, 14,301 pounds, versus OSR 45,875 pounds, 43,023 pounds. However, mean NHS costs for 12 months following the procedure were slightly higher for the Tavar 5,206 pounds, 11,585 pounds, versus OSR 5,039 pounds, 11,994 pounds. Conclusions Surgical procedure costs were higher for Tavar due to device costs. Total in hospital costs were higher for OSR due to longer hospital and critical care stay. Follow-up costs over 12 months were slightly higher for Tavar due to hospital readmission. Long-term patient reported back and shoulder function after delayed breast reconstruction with a latissimus dorsi flap, case control cohort study. Background Sacrifice of the latissimus dorsi, LD, muscle might entail donor site morbidity when used in delayed breast reconstruction. Previous studies are small, have short follow-up, and demonstrate diverging results. The aims of this study were to evaluate long-term patient-reported effects on shoulder and back function following LD flap harvest, and to investigate predictors for a worse outcome. Method This is a retrospective observational case control cohort study. Cases were all patients who had undergone an LD flap reconstruction during the years 2007 to 2017. Controls were patients reconstructed with a deep inferior epigastric perforator, DIEP, flap during the same time period. Participants completed two validated questionnaires, the breast Q reconstruction LD domains and the Western Ontario Shoulder Osteoarthritis Index, WOOS. Results. A total of 135 cases, 75%, and 118 controls, 60%, responded to the questionnaires. The mean follow-up time was 7 years. Patients reconstructed with a LD flap were significantly less satisfied with their back and shoulder function when compared to the deep controls, as measured with breast Q and woos. Predictors for a poor patient reported back and shoulder function included axillary surgery and axillary radiotherapy, especially when combined, as well as higher age at reconstruction. Conclusion Patients who have undergone LD flap for delayed breast reconstruction had a lower satisfaction with back and shoulder function when compared to patients who had undergone a deep reconstruction. Delayed LD reconstruction should be used with care, especially in patients who have undergone axillary surgery and axillary radiotherapy. Next article is from Journal of Vascular Surgery. Incidents and Characteristics of Vascular Trauma at a Level 2 Trauma Center Objective Despite the significant number of trauma patients treated at Level 2 Trauma Centers, L2TCS, in the United States, most of the literature describing vascular trauma is from Level 1 Trauma Centers, L1TCS. Currently, trauma center designation criteria do not require vascular surgery as a necessary component service. 
Methods A retrospective chart review was performed for all trauma patients with a vascular surgery consultation seen at our L2TC between 2013 and 2018. Patient demographics, injury characteristics, and outcomes were collected and analyzed with descriptive statistics. Results Of the 3,062 trauma patients evaluated at our L2TC, 110, 3.6%, had a vascular surgery consultation. Operative intervention was performed in 35.2% of consults, and 1.0% of all trauma patients had a vascular intervention. Average age was 57 years, and the majority were male, and equals 75, 68.2%. Mean injury severity score was 12.0 plus or minus 9.6, and blunt injury, and equals 77, 87.5%, was more common than penetrating, and equals 11. 12.5%. The most common location of injury was the lower extremity, and equals 23, 74.2%, followed by upper extremity, and equals 3, 9.7%, chest, and equals 2, 6.5%, neck, and equals 2, 6.5%, and pelvis, and equals 1, 3.2%. Endovascular interventions were performed by the Vascular Surgery Service in 67.7%, and equals 21, of all injuries. There was one amputation, 3.2%, and one postoperative mortality, 3.2%. Conclusions At our L2TC, postoperative morbidity and mortality rates at 30 days were substantially lower compared with previously reported data. However, mean injury severity score and the incidence of penetrating and polytrauma were also lower at our institution. Most patients were managed non-operatively, but when they did require an operation, endovascular therapies were more commonly implemented. Vascular surgery should be considered an integral service in trauma-level designation, and there is a need for further investigation of these outcomes in L2TCS. Association between socioeconomic deprivation and presentation with a ruptured abdominal aortic aneurysm. Objective. Given the ongoing nature of research in the social determinants space and urges to improve United States Preventive Services Task Force screening efforts for abdominal aortic aneurysms, AAAs, this project aims to characterize the association between the level of socioeconomic deprivation, rurality, and ruptured AAA. RAA, presentation across the United States. Methods. We queried the Vascular Quality Initiative Registry, 2010-2019, for patients with AAAs. The Area Deprivation Index, ADI, is an index from 1 to 100 used to capture socioeconomic status. ADI was grouped into quintiles, with the most deprived regions being quintile 5 and having the highest ADI index. Multivariable logistic regression assessed the association between ADI, rurality, and RAP presentation overall and before age 65. Results Of the 82,909 patients included, 11,458 patients, 14%, resided in the most socioeconomically deprived regions, and 18,083 patients, 22%, lived in rural regions. Overall, 6,831 patients, 8.2%, experienced in RAP, with 4,696 patients, 69%, residing in the three most deprived quintiles. 
Most patients underwent endovascular repair, and equals 67,933, 82%, followed by open repair, and equals 14,976, 18%. On multivariable analysis, Residents in the most socioeconomically deprived region was associated with a near 1.5-fold increased odds of presenting with NRA compared with the residents in the least deprived regions, odds ratio or, 1.46, 95% confidence interval, c, 1.31 to 1.63, p less than 0.001, whereas urban residents was associated with the decreased odds to present with NRA compared with rural residents, or, 0.84. 95% C, 0.79-0.89, P less than 0.001. When stratifying the study population by the United States Preventive Services Task Force recommended age for AAA screening, 65 years old, 14,147 patients, 17%, were under 65. Of those under 65, 1,381 patients, 9.8%, experienced a RA and 9,955 patients, 71%, resided in the three most deprived quintiles. Residents in the most socioeconomically deprived region was associated with an increased odds of presenting with NRA compared with residents in the least deprived region, or, 1.31, 95% c, 1.01 to 1.69, p equals 0.042. However, there were no significant associations between rural residents and increased RAP presentation among individuals under 65, or, 1.07, 95% c, 0.93 to 1.23, p equals 0.36. Conclusions Among all patients in this study, patients residing in highly socioeconomically deprived or rural regions were more likely to present within RAP, but among those under 65, only residents in a socioeconomically deprived area was associated with increased odds of RAB presentation. Understanding the effects of socioeconomic deprivation on RAB presentation can identify at-risk populations for early AAA screening before rupture. Impact of routine surveillance duplex ultrasound and subsequent reintervention after superficial femoral artery stenting. Objective Superficial femoral artery, SFA, stenting is a common treatment for peripheral artery disease. It is effective in the short term, however, and stent restenosis, ISR, limits long-term success. Surveillance with duplex ultrasound, DUS, can identify patients who develop ISR leading to early reintervention, but data to support this practice is sparse. The purpose of this study was to evaluate whether surveillance and subsequent reintervention improves outcomes in patients with SFA stents. Methods A single center, retrospective study was performed with patients undergoing SFA stenting between 2005 and 2020 who had a follow up with DUS. Five groups were identified based on the presence of ISR on DUS, ISR versus no ISR, NISR, recurrence of symptoms. Symptomatic, SX, versus asymptomatic, ASX, and if any reintervention was performed, reintervention, R, versus no reintervention, NR, 1 ISR plus SX plus R, 2 ISR plus SX plus NR, 3 ISR plus ASX plus R, 4 ISR plus ASX plus NR, and 5 NISR plus NR. The primary endpoint was amputation free survival, 
and the secondary endpoint was patency. Predictors of mortality and surveillance were identified by multivariable logistic regressions and Cox multivariate regression models. Survival curves were presented as Kaplan-Meier plots using log-rank test for subgroup comparison. Results 257 patients were included in the analysis. The indication for intervention was claudication in 28% and chronic limb-threatening ischemia in 72%. A total of 161 patients, 63%, underwent re-intervention for ISR. Of patients who had restenosis on DUS, those who were symptomatic and did not undergo re-intervention, ISR plus SX plus NR, did the worst, with 50% amputation rate. In contrast, those who were asymptomatic but did undergo re-intervention, ISR plus ASX plus R, had the lowest amputation rate of 13%. Active smoking was a predictor of both loss of patency and amputation, 1.72, 95% confidence interval, C, 1.00 to 2.98. P equals 0 0.050, 3.55, 95% C, 1.53 to 8.25, P equals 0.003. Post-procedure dual antiplatelet therapy had a positive association with limb salvage, hazard ratio, HR, 0.23, 95% C, 0.09 to 0.58, P equals 0.001, whereas diabetes, HR, 2.61. 95% C, 1.21 to 6.01, P equals 0.019, stent occlusion, HR, 17.0, 95% 95% to 63.1, P less than 0.001, and chronic limb-threatening ischemia presentations, HR, 4.31, 95% C, 1.86 to 11.7, P equals 0.002, were negatively associated with limb salvage. Conclusions Routine surveillance dust and subsequent reintervention on ISR after SFA stenting is associated with improved patency and amputation-free survival. Surveillance dust should be routine for patients after stenting, with reintervention strongly considered if ISR is identified for both symptomatic and asymptomatic. Next article is from Surgical Endoscopy. Active gas aspiration in reducing pain after laparoscopic cholecystectomy, a systematic review and meta-analysis of randomized controlled trials. Background. Postoperative pain is a common issue following laparoscopic cholecystectomy. This meta-analysis aimed to determine if active gas aspiration is more effective than passive gas aspiration in reducing postoperative pain and analgesic requirements. Methodology. The study conducted a systematic search of various databases, including Embase, Medline, and Cochrane Central Register of Controlled Trials, Central, via Ovid. It also searched trial registries and reference lists of included studies, with no date restrictions but limited to English language, up to December 21, 2022. The study included all randomized clinical trials that had documented elective laparoscopic cholecystectomy procedure and reported at least one relevant outcome. Articles that included subdiaphragmatic drain, intraperitoneal normal saline infusion, or pulmonary recruitment maneuver were excluded from the analysis. Two reviewers independently and in duplicate assessed the eligibility of studies and extracted data. 
The study reported findings according to the preferred reporting items for systematic review and meta-analysis, PRISMA, guidelines. The risk of bias of the included trials was assessed using the revised Cochrane Risk of Bias Assessment Tool. The study used a random effects model to pool data. Results This meta-analysis included five randomized clinical trials with 367 participants and found that active gas aspiration resulted in significantly lower residual gas volume and total analgesia requirements compared to passive gas aspiration. Active gas aspiration also led to significantly lower shoulder pain scores at 24 hours postoperatively. However, no significant differences were observed in hospital stay duration or abdominal pain scores. Conclusion The study found that active gas aspiration can be effective in reducing postoperative shoulder pain and analgesic requirements after laparoscopic cholecystectomy, which has important implications for patient care and healthcare costs. Importantly, this intervention does not impose any additional time or financial burden. However, further research is needed to evaluate its impact on other laparoscopic procedures. Next article is from Annals of Surgical Oncology. Clinical Outcomes of Preserving Bronchial Arteries During Radical Esophagectomy, a Propensity Score Matched Analysis. Background. Postoperative pneumonia is a common and major cause of mortality after radical esophagectomy. Intraoperative preservation of the bronchial arteries is often aimed at avoiding tracheobronchial ischemia, however, it is unknown whether this contributes to a reduction in postoperative pneumonia. Patients and Methods We enrolled 348 consecutive patients who underwent radical esophagectomy for esophageal cancer at Toranamon Hospital from January 2011 to July 2018. We classified patients into a bronchial artery resected, BAR, group, N equals 93, and a bronchial artery preserved, BAP, group, N equals 255, and compared the incidence of postoperative pneumonia between the two groups. A propensity score matching analysis for bronchial artery preservation versus resection was performed. Results Overall, 182 patients were matched. Univariate analysis of the propensity score match group showed that Brinkman index greater than or equal to 400, vital capacity, percent VC, less than 80%, and bronchial artery resection were associated with the development of postoperative pneumonia. Multivariate analysis revealed three significant factors associated with postoperative pneumonia, Brinkman index greater than or equal to 400, P equals 0.006, odds ratio, HR, 3.302, 95% confidence interval, 95% C, 1.399 to 7.790, percent VC less than 80%, P equals 0.034, HR 6.365, 95% C 1.151 to 35.205, and bronchial artery resection, P equals 0.034, HR 2.131, 95% C 1.060 to 4.282. The incidence of postoperative complications, CD grade 3, was higher in the BAR group, BAR 42.8% versus BAP 27.5%, P equals 0.030. There was no significant difference in overall survival between the two groups at 5 years, BAR 63.1% versus BAP 72.1%, P equals 0.130.
Conclusion Preserving the bronchial artery is associated with a decreased incidence of postoperative pneumonia. Next article is from Obesity Surgery. Evaluation of healthcare utilization and expenditures in persons with type 2 diabetes undergoing bariatric metabolic surgery. Purpose Changes in healthcare utilization and expenditures after bariatric metabolic surgery, BMS, for people with type 2 diabetes mellitus, T2DM, are unclear. We use the Dutch National All-Payer Claims Database, APCD, to evaluate utilization and expenditures in people with T2DM who underwent BMS. Methods In this cohort study, patients with T2DM who had BMS in 2016 were identified in the APCD. This group was matched 1-2 to to a control group with T2DM who did not undergo BMS based on age, gender and healthcare expenditures. Data on healthcare expenditures and utilization were collected for 2013 to 2019. Results In total, 1751 patients were included in the surgery group and 3502 in the control group. After BMS, total median expenditures in the surgery group stabilized, 3156 euros to 3120 euros, and increased in the control group. 3,174 euros to 3,434 euros. Total pharmaceutical expenditures decreased 28% in the surgery group, 957 euros to 494 euros, and increased 55% in the control group, 605 euros to 936 euros. In the surgery group, 67.1% did not use medication for T2DM in 2019 compared to 13.3% in the control group. Healthcare use for microvascular complications increased in the control group, but not in the surgery group. Conclusion BMS in people with T2DM stabilizes healthcare expenditures and decreases medication use and care use for microvascular complications. In contrast, healthcare use and expenditures in T2DM patients who do not undergo surgery gradually increase over time. Due to the progressive nature of T2DM, it is expected that these differences will become larger in the long term. Next article is from Journal of the American College of Surgeons. Novel form of breast intraoperative radiation therapy with CT-guided high-dose rate breath therapy, interim results of a prospective phase 2 clinical trial. Background Precision breast intraoperative radiation therapy, PBEORT, is a novel method of aort that uses customized CT-based treatment plans and high-dose rate, HDR, breath therapy. We conducted a phase 2 multi-institution trial to evaluate the efficacy of PBEORT. Study design Between 2015 and 2022, three centers enrolled women aged 45 years and older with invasive or in-situ carcinoma measuring 3CM or smaller and N0 status, and equals 358. Breast-conserving surgery was performed, and a multilumen balloon catheter was placed in the lumpectomy bed. CT images were used to create customized HDR breath therapy plans that delivered 12.5 grays to the tumor bed. The primary outcome assessed was a 5-year rate of index quadrant tumor recurrence. An interim analysis was conducted after one-third of eligible participants completed 5 years of follow-up. 
This trial is registered with clinicaltrials.gov, NCT 02400658. Results The cohort comprised 153 participants with a median age of 64 years and median follow-up time of 5.9 years. The estimated 5-year index quadrant tumor recurrence rate and overall survival were 5.08%, 95% C2.23 to 9.68, and 95.1%, respectively. Local regional, ipsilateral breast and axilla, and distant recurrence rates were each 1.96%. Seven deaths occurred during the first five years of follow-up, with only one attributable to breast cancer. Overall, 68.6% of patients experienced any adverse effects and four cases of breast-related severe toxicities were observed. Conclusions This study presents the results of a planned interim analysis of a Phase II trial investigating PBE-ORT and demonstrates the efficacy and safety of single-fraction, CT-based, HDR breath therapy after breast-conserving surgery. These findings provide valuable insights into the use of PBE-ORT as a treatment modality. Duration of dialysis in acute kidney injury donors and transplant outcomes. Background. Acute kidney injury, aki, kidneys, including those from donors on dialysis, are often underutilized, although there is increasing data available demonstrating good transplant outcomes. To date, data on the duration of donor dialysis and transplant outcomes are limited. Study design. This was a single-center study of deceased donor kidney transplants from 2010 to 2022. The study cohort consisted of recipients of deceased donor kidney transplants from donors with Aki and on dialysis. Three groups were identified based on the predetermined interquartile range of donor dialysis duration, 1 to 2 dialysis days, 3 to 4 dialysis days, and 5 or more dialysis days. Results During this period, 765 Aki deceased donor transplants were performed, of which 230 were from donors on dialysis. The median dialysis duration was 2 days with a maximum of 13 days. Across the three groups, there were no differences in recipient age, P equals 0.23 or dialysis vintage, P equals 0.70. Donor age, P equals 0.86, and kidney donor profile index, P equals 0.57, were comparable between the groups. Recipients of deceased donor kidney transplants from donors on dialysis five or more days had lower terminal creatinine levels, P equals 0.003, and longer cold ischemia times, P equals 0.04. Post-transplant, the median length of hospital stay was three days for all groups, P equals 0.75. There were no differences in delayed graft function occurrence, 94.4% versus 86.8% versus 92.1%, P equals 0.19, duration of delayed graft function, P equals 0.56, or readmissions, P equals 0.99. At one year post-transplant, the estimated glomerular filtration rate, P equals 0.76, patient survival, P equals 0.82, or death-censored graft survival, P equals 0.28 were comparable. Conclusions Excellent outcomes have been observed in Aki-deceased donor kidney transplants, including those coming from donors on dialysis. In this small cohort, the duration of donor dialysis did not adversely affect outcomes.
cautious expansion of the donor pool, including donors on dialysis, should be considered given the ongoing organ shortage. Improved early post-transplant outcomes and organ use in kidney transplant using normothermic regional perfusion for donation after circulatory death, national experience in the U.S. background. Normothermic regional perfusion, NRP, is a technique that is intended to enhance organ transplant outcomes from donation circulatory death, DCD, donors. Study Design A retrospective analysis of data from the Scientific Registry of Transplant Recipients was performed. DCD donors were screened for inclusion based on date of donation 2020 or later, and whether the heart was also recovered for transplantation. We grouped donors as either donation after brain death or DCD. DCD donors were further divided into groups including those in which the heart was not recovered for transplant, non-heart DCD, and those in which it was, based on recovery technique, thoracoabdominal NRP, TANRP, heart DCD and super-rapid recovery heart DCD. Results A total of 219 kidney transplant recipients receiving organs from TANRP heart DCD donors were compared to 436 SRR Super Rapid Recovery DCD, 10,630 Super Rapid Recovery Non-Heart DCD, and 27,820 donations after brain death recipients. Kidney transplant recipients of TANRP DCD allographs experience shorter length of stay lower rates of delayed graft function, and lower serum creatinine at the time of discharge when compared with recipients of other DCD allografts. Conclusions Our analysis demonstrates superior early kidney allograft function when TANRP is used for DCD organ recovery. Next article is from Journal of Trauma and Acute Care Surgery. Delayed tranexamic acid after traumatic brain injury impedes learning and memory. Early tranexamic acid is favorable but not in sham animals. Background Early but not late tranexamic acid, TXA, after TBI preserves blood-brain barrier integrity, but it is unclear if and how dose timing affects cognitive recovery beyond hours post-injury. We hypothesize that early, one hour post-TBI, but not late, 24 hours post-TBI, TXA administration improves cognitive recovery for 14 days. Methods CD1 male mice, N equals 25, were randomized to severe TBI injury, I by controlled cortical impact or sham craniotomy, S, followed by intravenous saline at 1 hour, placebo, P1 or 30 mg slash kg TXA at 1 hour. TXA1 or 24 hours, TXA24. Daily body weights, Garcia neurological test scores, brain slash lung water content, and Morris water maze exercises quantifying swimming traffic in the platform quadrant, zone, Z, 1, and platform area, Z5, were recorded for up to 14 days. Results. Among injured groups, ITXA1 demonstrated fastest weight gain for 14 days and only ITXA1 showed rapid, Day 1, normalization of Garcia neurological test, P equals 0.01 versus IP1, ITXA24. In cumulative spatial trials, compared with ITXA1, ITXA24 hindered learning, distance to Z5 and percent time in Z1, 
P less than 0.05. Compared with ITXA1, ITXA24 showed poorer memory with less C5 time, 0.51 versus 0.16 seconds, P less than 0.01, and Z5 crossing frequency. Unexpectedly, TXA in injured animals, STXA1, displayed faster weight gain but inferior learning and memory. Conclusion Early TXA appears beneficial for cognitive and behavioral outcomes following TBI, although administration 24 hours post-injury consistently impairs cognitive recovery. Tranexamic acid in sham animals may lead to adverse effects on cognition. Next article is from the American Journal of Surgery. An acute care surgeon's dilemma, operative versus non-operative management of emergency general surgery conditions in patients with recent colorectal cancer treatment. Background. This comparative effectiveness study examined outcomes of operative versus non-operative management for emergency general surgery, EGS, conditions in patients with recent cancer treatment, RT. Methods. Medicare beneficiaries with a history of colorectal cancer hospitalized for an EGS condition, 2016 to 2018, were identified. RT was defined as chemotherapy slash radiation within three months prior to admission. Instrumental variable analysis assessed the impact of management on mortality and readmissions among survivors, 30D, 60D, and 90D, for patients in whom there was clinical equipoise regarding optimal management strategy. Results Of 26,097 patients, 13% had undergone RT. In both the RT and non-RT groups, the optimal management strategy was uncertain in 14%. Operative management conferred increased risk of mortality but not readmission in patients with RT compared to those without, 90D mortality colon plus 43%, P equals 0.03, 90D readmission colon plus 7.1%, P equals 0.776. Conclusions. In patients with RT for whom there is clinical equipoise regarding EGS management, operative intervention increases risk of mortality. Are women residents of surgical specialties at a higher risk of developing imposter syndrome? Background. Imposter syndrome is a chronic feeling of doubt leading to a sense of incompetence, which is common among trainees. However, little is known about the effect of gender on imposter syndrome among surgical trainees. Methods An online national survey was distributed to the surgical subspecialty residents between March and September 2022, including demographics, validated clans imposter scale and a short questionnaire evaluating depression and anxiety. Results Of the participants self-identified as women, 264, 69.1%, and men, 118, 30.9%, response rate 36.4%, the prevalence of imposterism was higher among women trainees, 97% versus 86%, P less than 0.0001. Risk factors were being a gynecologist, 156, 59%, P less than 0.0001 single, 157, 59.7% P equals 0.007, having no dependents, 233, 88.3% P equals 0.001, being a foreign graduate, 
24, 9.1%, P equals 0.024, and having feelings of anxiety, 82, 31.1%, P equals 0.012. When using multivariate logistic regression to adjust for these factors, the prevalence of imposter syndrome remained significantly higher among women. Conclusion Women trainees belonging to various surgical fields are affected by imposter syndrome. Residency programs should develop wellness programs and provide mentorship to address this condition. Analysis of Fibrinolytic Shutdown in Trauma Patients with Traumatic Brain Injury Background Coagulation profiles following major trauma vary depending on injury pattern and degree of shock. The physiologic mechanisms involved in coagulation function at any given time are varied and remain poorly understood. Thrombolistography, TEG, has been used to evaluate coagulation profiles in the trauma population with some reports demonstrating a spectrum of fibrinolysis to fibrinolytic shutdown on initial presentation. The objective of this study was to evaluate the fibrinolytic profile of patients with TBI using thrombolistography, TEG. We hypothesized that patients with TBI would demonstrate low fibrinolytic activity. Methods All trauma activations at an ACS-verified Level 1 trauma center received a TEG analysis upon arrival from December 2019 to June 2021. A retrospective review of the results and outcomes was conducted, and TBI patients were compared to patients without TBI. Linear regression was used to evaluate the effect of patient and injury factors on fibrinolysis. Hyperfibrinolysis was defined as LY30 greater than 7. 7%, physiologic fibrinolysis as LY30 0.6 to 7.7%, and fibrinolytic shutdown as LY30 less than 0. 6%. Results. A total of 1,369 patients received an admission tag analysis. Patients with TBI had a significantly higher median ISS, 16 versus 8, P less than 0.001, lower median admission Glasgow Coma Scale, 14 versus 15, P less than 0.001, longer intensive care unit length of stay, 3 versus 2 days, P less than 0.0001 increased ventilator days, 216 versus 183, P less than 0.001, higher mortality, 14.6% versus 5.1%, P less than 0.001, but lower shock index, 0.6 versus 0.7, P less than 0.0001, compared to those without TBI. Median LY30 was found to be decreased in the TBI group, 0.1 versus 0.2, P equals 0.0006. Patients with TBI were found to have a higher rate of fibrinolytic shutdown compared those without TBI, 68.7% versus 63.5%, P equals 0.054. ISS, sex and shock index were found to be predictive of LY30 on linear regression, but TBI was not, Beta, 0.09, SE, 0.277, P equals 0.745. The rate of DVT slash PE did not appear to be elevated in patients with TBI, 0.8%, and without TBI, 1.2%. Conclusions Trauma patients with and without TBI were found to have high rates of fibrinolytic shutdown. Although there was a high incidence of fibrinolytic shutdown, 
it did not appear to have an impact on the rate of thrombotic complications. The clinical significance of these results is unclear and differs significantly from recent reports which demonstrated that TBI is associated with a 25% rate of fibrinolytic shutdown. Further investigation is needed to better define the fibrinolytic pathway in patients with trauma and TBI to develop optimal treatment algorithms. Thank you for listening to this week in surgery, your filtered medical journal summary. Have a great week ahead, stay blessed and be humane.